The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us pray. We come with grateful hearts on this your day, God, and thankful again for the many blessings you bestowed upon us, even in the midst of the difficult time we had for the last year. And so, Lord, may we come with humble hearts, uh, humble hearts that realize, God, that we are sinners saved by grace, and we still struggle, Lord, with the various sins that we are tempted towards in thought, word, and deed, God, uh, forgetting your power, getting your love at times, perhaps, Lord, or being uh, selfish and the like. We ask, God, that we would have humble hearts that ask for forgiveness, not only on this your day, Lord, but throughout the week as we are convicted of sin. And may we continue, Lord, to admonish one another and to read your words so that we may be admonished by your word so that we can expose the sins of our hearts, Lord, and fight against them. We thank you for your spirit, Lord, that we can indeed fight against sin and we have conviction of our sins, Lord. We thank you for the grace you bestowed upon us through Christ Jesus and your sovereign might and power exercised through providence, a special providence, Lord, that has smiled upon us, Lord, of late. We pray, God, in particular for ourselves and for one another, Lord, as the members of the body of Christ here at Providence, uh, for the poor and the rich, for the young and the old and everything in between, that, Lord, the world would see that we are united by Christ Jesus, and that, Lord God, we are united by a common confession and a common practice, Lord, in worship and in Christian life and the following of the Word of God, and that we take care of one another, Lord. We have a love, a fervent love and a desire, as we read in First Peter, God, for one another. For the poor Lord to help them in the time of need and to assist them, God, and for uh, the rich Lord, insofar as uh, they are here by your grace and mercy to help the poor, to help the church of Jesus Christ, God, with your extra resources. And again, for everyone in between to know that we need one another, to help one another, not just materially, respect to money, but spiritually as well. Rich would always be humble, Lord, and not be consumed by their excess of prosperity that you've given us in America, and nor the poor would be consumed by their poverty, Lord, and the discomforts they have in their life. Rather, God, again, we would help encourage one another unto further sanctification. We pray the same for the young and old alike, and all the ages in between, that the youth would use their energy and their strength, Lord, quickness of mind, uh, to help the Church of Jesus Christ, to help those older than them, Lord, to help certainly their family, God, but uh, also their friends and their church, Lord, the kingdom, and to be useful and helpful for the poor, for those who are weak, whoever else needs their strength, God. We pray, Lord, for those of us who are up in years, that we would, again, be thankful that you bestowed grace upon us and the life experiences, that we would bestow them upon those who need them and experience and knowledge, especially, again, the youth, that the youth would be humble, but at the same time, we would also be humble, Lord, so far as uh, we can uh, listen and use the youth for the help of the church, God, to have ideas. Help us, we pray, to be meshed further together as the people of God here at Providence, as I've seen for the many decades that we've been here, and that, Lord, the visitors that come would see that love. I know many have told us these things, and they would be wel- uh, welcomed, Lord, and be brought into the love of Christ Jesus, and our numbers would expand, Lord, and also our souls would grow. We pray for Christian education, for the youth among us, Lord, children, babies, that they would learn your word, learn the catechisms as a summary of your word. They would learn their ABCs, Lord, in this life, God, and their one, two, threes, that they can be good citizens and productive members of society, but especially of the kingdom of God. 
And Lord, we pray that you'd protect them, give them access to Christian education, Christian schools, Christian homeschooling, God. Uh, protect them, we pray, and we pray for others across this city of ours and the state and this nation, Lord, of Christians who are struggling to find good education, Lord, for their kids. That is not just instruction of their mind, but the instruction of their heart, God, throughout the week. The public schools are growing worse and worse uh, in their wickedness and what they teach, God. And so we pray that you would help Christians, God, whoever they may be have access and get help from the churches and from other Christians, Lord, that can educate their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord our God. Help us, we pray, as a church, to continue to take Christian education seriously, to remember that we are called disciples, or can be translated pupils, students, Lord, of Jesus Christ, to continue ever to learn as we can, to go over the basics again, Lord. Repetition is important in our life. Help us, we pray, to be a light in the sea of darkness that we find ourselves in more and more in America in our culture, in our society, in our neighborhoods, Lord. We're thankful that we have access to the building, that we can do Bible studies, that we can do, uh, Lord, Sunday school, and, of course, preaching and the praise of your name. And we ask again for our health, for the bodily, for our bodily health, Lord, certainly our spiritual health. Thankful, God, that you've protected us over uh, this last year from various serious sicknesses, um, and COVID in particular, Lord, and that we are going back to normal, that you have preserved our liberties thus far, God, that, Lord, we pray that powers that be will have learned and adjusted, not learned the wrong lessons from the many snafus and errors they've done in the last year, God. Uh, Lord, may we continue to have protection as we move forward, Lord, socially and politically for the Church of Jesus Christ in particular, God, but also for our fellow citizens. Continue to pray, Lord, for those who are struggling with chronic ailments in their body, God, that they would persevere day by day, and that we would take care of ourselves both in diet and exercise, Lord, to help one another as we can. Pray for, Lord, your name to be magnified and glorified this morning. In your name alone we pray. Amen. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, the children, to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, 
nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Hear also the words of our Lord Jesus, how he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. First Peter chapter 1. This is it. Down with chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 25, let us listen attentively to the word of God. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Let us pray. Spirit of truth and light, we thank you, God, for opening our eyes and showing us and giving us salvation, showing us the power of God, exercising such power, Lord, in our lives, even to this day. Help us, we pray, Lord, to continue to take seriously the Word of God, the truth therein, preaching of the Word of God as well, Lord. More people would hear the preaching of your Word, even in the church, God. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Since the mid-90s, when Barna kept close tabs on the spiritual state of the Christian populace, the numbers have shown a steadily weak body of Christians. Many cannot name the Ten Commandments. 59% of evangelicals believe the Holy Spirit is a force and not a personal being. 57% believe there are different ways to heaven than Christ. And only 3% of the most committed evangelicals have a nominal Christian worldview, if you can even call it that. That's why I thank the Lord for the light that we have in a literally dark age. Church. But what is to be done? Biblical literacy is a problem. Naturally, with the easy access to books and the Internet, the answer many have is to read. Got to read, 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 and give them a good book. And others argue for small group studies, what used to be called Bible studies, and that's fine. These are good things. But how many of the people who have promoted these things think of something like preaching, the need for preaching? God does. And even if you're fully read in the Bible, you still need preaching. And I dare say that many thousands of Christians who are satisfied with just reading a book on theology but could not be bothered to hear the preaching of the Word of God are in a bad way. They have access to such preachings. I'm finding out more and more it's disappearing, even in America. You can only read so many books. There are so many books. There are a multitude of books. Design of on Christian bookstore if they're even open anymore. What book do you choose? Preacher will help direct and guide you, can answer questions in a way a book cannot. Of course, you can be inspired and encouraged by preachers for you see God working through them, especially if they're your pastor, leaders of the church. God, God says and speaks through book of Hebrews and elsewhere to imitate your leaders. And so it's hard to imitate an author of a book. It just simply is. You can do so much with a book, and I'm glad we have access to that. But You need flesh and blood. The power of God is the first point. The power of God. As I explain the broader context and idea of verse 25, in the word of, excuse me, now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. He thinks it's important that they remember that they were born again and the gospel was given to them through the preaching of the word of God. Not the word of God read by you. They could have written 
books. They had scrolls back then, right? Parchment and the like. As I said before, maybe it was Wednesday night, they could have mimed it. They could have done theater. But it's none of that. It's preaching. And Peter is speaking against the backdrop of the broader truth of the doctrine of preaching, we can call it. That it is the power of God exercised through preaching itself. 1 Corinthians one eighteen, where we have the famous passage here that surely Peter knew about, or at least the sentiment behind it. In 1 Corinthians one eighteen, we read, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We should not be surprised when people don't want to hear the gospel and the churches shrink. That should not surprise us. And yet it does, unfortunately, in many, many circles. Because it is foolishness to those who are perishing. They don't want to hear it. They think you're crazy. We see that more and more in America, don't we? Where Christians are more and more derided, especially conservative Christians. Uh, Again, uh, our current president, even the prior president, claimed to be Christians of some sort or whatever, and clearly they were obviously confused about what it even meant in the most rudimentary fashion. So in the elite circles, it's okay to be a Christian of some sort, as long as you follow the elite morality, abortion, globalism, whatever else those problems are. But here, he continues on, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is the power of God? The message of the cross is the power of God, which is another way of saying the gospel, the good news. The gospel message is God's power unto salvation. It is a conduit of power. Of course, we know he's not saying it is the power, it's detached from God himself, but rather God is using the message to save people. That's what he's saying. It is the message of God preached in particular. He continues on in the same set of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 prior For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. It's not simply the message of the cross, but the message of the cross preached. That is the power of God. Again, the power of God exercised in providence and time and space through the conduit, not exclusively. He's not limited by it, but this is what he's pleased to use and to make visible before the world. The importance of preaching is such that baptism itself pales in comparison. In which he says in 1 Corinthians 1, that I did not come to baptize. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but Christ did send him to baptize. What's he saying? We have a word for that in literature. Why it's important to learn some English. Some literature. My daughter's going through all that. Hyperbole. Remember the word hyperbole? To exaggerate for effect, to get your attention. Of course he's been called to baptize. That's part of the Great Commission, isn't it? Matthew 28. Go and baptize the nations. So what's he saying here? What's the intent of the words? Not this naive woodenism that says, well, you know, Peter's contradicting himself. That's what the liberals would say, right? Liberals don't believe the word of God. They're finding excuses everywhere. But clearly, he's using hyperbole by saying, in comparison to preaching, baptism just fades away in the distance. Because the beginning of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he brings up baptism, where people are running around saying, I've been baptized by Peter or Paul or Jesus. We're the super holy people here. 
Paul's like, forget baptism. I didn't baptize anybody. Oh, well, then he remembers I, I baptized, uh, baptized this guy, I baptized that guy. But let me tell you, baptism isn't the point. It's the word of God. It's the gospel and the gospel preached. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach. That's what he's emphasizing. That's his point, to get your attention. Like when Christ said, pluck out your right eye, cut off your right arm. Think Christ is promoting mutilation of the body? <laughs> or is he trying to wake you up by hyperbole to get your attention? Don't forget, that exists in the Bible because it's human literature, although inspired by the Holy Spirit. We have a divine order for the church through preaching. That is, God has given this command to the church. We have it in the Great Commission, right? Go and teach and baptize, discipling, the idea there. Luke 24, 47, Christ speaking to the apostles, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That's what he tells them to do. You must preach. You must get the message out. Romans 10, 14, how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, not without books? Not without theater, not without movies, preacher. They had that. I mentioned the Greek theater. Theater for young young folk here is stage plays, right? They had that, but that's not what God told them to use for the church. It's divine order that there be preaching and therefore preachers. So important of an office that he created the office so important of a function that he created the office, that there must be someone dedicated to preaching and teaching. Romans 10, 14, How then shall they call upon him on whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him and whom they have not heard unless they have a preacher? And he continues on quoting Isaiah, Blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news, that is, preachers. And we know in 1 Timothy 3, and Titus, that there are as a list of qualifications for the pastor to be apt to teach or instruct. I use the word preaching. Uh, I think I'll talk about it a little later in the sermon here. Uh, there are two sides of one event of opening the mouth. One is more emphatic of exhortation. The other is more instructional like a teacher. But they're both giving truth and proclaiming truth. In fact, preaching is so important. The office of pastor is so significant that we have three epistles in the New Testament written by one pastor to another, right? First, Timothy, second, Timothy, and Titus. Those were young pastors. Paul was writing to pastors, not you, brothers. Sorry. You learn from it, and through him teaching them, and he teaches them what he's supposed to teach you, right? You see the the path there? So obviously you can learn from it. And one thing I always tell people, even if the passage isn't about you, it helps you learn what it is about someone else. You can help them do their duty. You can help the pastor do his duty. You can protect the church, in fact, from bad pastors who don't follow the duties of First and Second Timothy and Titus and elsewhere. In Acts, of course, it's one story after another of men commissioned by God to what? Preach and teach. And they did that every week on the Sabbath of the Jewish Sabbath in the synagogues whenever they could, and sometimes daily. 
God blessed them. In big ways, thousands of converts, as we know. In small ways, of course, the church grew and matured. A number of passages mention that. Acts 4.4, 4, uh, we read, However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men who came to be about 5,000 converts. Acts 6.4, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to what? The ministry of the word. So here we have the act of the apostle showing the importance of preaching. Love, right? We talked about, I preached about that in 1 Peter, how love is maligned and now becomes hate. It's really hate in America, but we're told that you don't love enough. What's your problem? I guess they would say the same thing for the apostles because the problem in Acts 6 were the widows not being taken care of. Some division in the church between uh, Hellenistic Jews and the local Jews of Jerusalem. They're not taking care of their widows. And the apostles said, we can't stay on top of this. We have to pray and we have to preach. And so they did what? They established the diaconate, right? Deacons to take care of the widows and those poor in the church. Apostles are going to do it if they have to. I'll do it. I have done it if I have to. Pastor's job, highlighted here, so far as it's not taking care of the poor. Why it's interesting uh, when I see even conservative churches think somehow their job is to help the poor. No, the job is to support the ministry so they can preach, preach comfortably without fear, trepidation about taking care of their family, for instance, and teach the people of God as well. Now, of course, in Acts, the emphasis is missionary to move out from Jerusalem. We know in the established churches in Timothy and Titus, where you don't have that emphasis, it's the local church, it's helping the local church grow and instruct them. And so amongst the ministry, you have uh, two basic approaches, which is the evangelists. We have uh, pastors who specialize in being evangelists and starting new churches. That's their specialty. That's where God has gifted them. And others are teaching or teaching oriented and helping the local churches already established to help them grow and instruct them and prepare them. And so both are important and needful. And some pastors do a little bit of both. You know, it depends on the circumstances. But again, uh, the point of Acts and going through Acts and highlighting this is to show us the importance in God's special providence for his church of giving them ministers, of giving them preaching, of giving them teaching, public instruction. The Bible study is public insofar as I don't turn people away. They're invited. People can come. Acts 12, 23, Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God glory. Um, but he was eaten, and the worms died, but the word of God grew and multiplied. So here we have the growth of the word of God against the backdrop of judgment of those who don't take the word of God seriously. In this case, of course, he thought himself wonderful, did not give God the glory, uh, the ruler there, and God killed him. And it says right there, next sentence, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Those who submitted in fear and love of God grew. And Acts 13.48, for one last example. Now when the, the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believe. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. It says that several times, three or four times, I recall, in Acts, something along the lines of the word of God grew, the word of the Lord spread, what? Through the mouth, right? Through the preaching. And here the Gentiles heard this good news given to them by mouth, and they submitted and they rejoiced, and God saved them. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. 
gospel. It's important to believe that. Because again, we live in a day and age that doesn't believe that. The church is encouraged, beat up, and told, ridiculous. Why do you want preachers teaching when you can entertain people? That's not what they did next. That's not what Christ commissions the church to do, to entertain and the like, but rather to boldly proclaim and to instruct and to help the people of God and, of course, preach the gospel to the lost and dying world. The church, through Acts, was protected from sin within and sin without by preachers and teachers. They gave the truth. They fed the sheep the truth. And they instructed them in the truth. And you got so comfortable with the truth. You saw the truth. You recognize the truth. That lies come along. You can reject them. And, of course, we see letters from Paul in particular where he warns the churches like Church of Corinth to avoid, or the Galatians, to avoid these lies and heresies. He's a teacher. He's here to warn them. He's here to instruct them so they can flee error. The pagan errors or lies within the church. Solid preaching is a wall against heresies and lies in the church. The Reformation was often described as nothing less than a preaching revival. That's what they were known for. Calvin preached every other day. I have a lot of his sermons. They have them dated there. And another guy preached the other days. They had multiple pastors in the church in Geneva. Geneva was a city of about 15,000. had one huge church and then several parish churches out in the countryside uh, for those living in the countryside as well. And they got together, Presbytery of sorts, but they had a lot of pastors. They were blessed that way. And they preached. Calvin was a preacher. Puritans were, of course, more preachers. It is the power of God, brothers and sisters. The gospel message, in particular, God is pleased to exercise his power through preaching, teaching. The mouth of a man who is saved by grace, just such as you are. The second point is, it's the power of God, not in general, but more specifically, to open eyes, to illuminate, to give us Inside and understanding of the Word of God. Illumination is the traditional word we like to use to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of God to Satan, we read in the Word of God. From darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God because the power of Satan is lies and ignorance. And that is represented by darkness, right? They have dark hearts. They don't know the truth. They grasp at lies and embrace lies. They're groping in the dark. And we, brothers and sisters, have been blessed by the power of God, preach word in particular, to have open eyes. We are not groping anymore. We know who God is. We know who Christ is. We know who the Spirit is. We know where salvation comes from. That's good. That's wonderful news. Now, properly speaking, of course, the opening of our eyes is the work of the Spirit. But the Spirit uses an instrument, and that instrument is often preaching. The Word of God, you read it, that also illuminates you. You must read the Word of God. But teaching and preaching, God uses as well. Acts 9.26, remember this? Philip, Ethiopian. Philip and the Ethiopian. This is an interesting passage. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. So he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. 
is sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet, right? Good. You're reading the Bible. He's reading the book of God. Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet. Isaiah said, do you understand what you are reading? I mentioned that before, right? All the stuff you got, all the books, this is great. Lots of freebies on, online. I mentioned that before, reformbooksonline.com. He's just copying loads of, and it's all organized by topic, too. Pick a topic and you can find Puritans that we know of have written on this topic. But you're going to be probably at one time in your life, I can almost guarantee it, like the Ethiopian is saying, how can I, unless someone guides me? Do you understand what you're reading? How can I? Do you see the point here? Yes, you must read the Word of God. You must meditate upon it. You must think about it and apply it to your life. But not in a vacuum. You can avoid it. If you're in a wartime situation, all the pastors are dead, you do what you can. But in healthy times, blessed times, God gives us pastors who can explain it. They can guide, as Philip, inspired by the Holy Spirit, guided the Ethiopian and explained to him that this was Jesus Christ. Overcome his ignorance from illumination. Spirit of God saves. Spirit of God regenerates. Gives us new life. Spirit of God illuminates so that we can see and understand and believe. That's true, but he uses instruments, brothers and sisters. He uses instruments. He uses the Bible. He uses you. And he uses preachers. You are You have friends who are in a Christian world in which many of them, I fear, just think all I need to do is have a Bible, and that's good enough for me. Preacher's nice, maybe a good motivational preacher, moralistic, therapeutic, uh, theistic, moralistic uh, therapy. I have it backwards. It was an old critique of a lot of those circles where they believe in some kind of deism, that God is kind of out there, and it's moralistic preaching they get, and it's a lot of therapy preaching, making them feel good giving him advice. Here, Philip telling us, not just giving you advice, although that's there. He's certainly not there to make you feel good. He's there to open his eyes so the Ethiopian would understand who is Jesus. Who, who am I reading here in Isaiah? That's Jesus. It's a suffering servant section of Isaiah. And he opened him and he explained to him, we can do the same thing, especially pastors, teachers. You understand what you are reading, brothers and sisters? You need someone to guide you. Even now, when you read the Bible, you do it in the context of being in a church. Many of you, for many years in a church that has instructed you how to read the Bible, going through the Bible, by example, and answering your questions. The power of Satan, of course, is a power from darkness and ignorance, as I mentioned before, ignorance of Christ, ignorance of the gospel, ignorance of the Bible, and, of course, more than just ignorance, that's the lack of proper knowledge, but outright lies, replacing Christ with a lie, a false Christ, a false Savior, a false Bible, a false gospel. It's running rampant in America, unfortunately. He dresses up, Satan dresses up the truth so much that no one recognizes it anymore. It becomes a lie. Now, to illuminate, to open the eyes, the Spirit uses instruments, he uses the Bible, he uses You speaking to your family member, he uses the pastor in particular, 
Yeah, but what tools does a pastor have in particular to talk to people? So the instrument now has an instrument. Got that? Spirit uses pastors who in turn use other instruments to speak to you. And that is the Bible, the whole Bible, the law and gospel in particular. Preaches the law for conviction to say you need a savior. You're a wicked sinner. You need deliverance from your transgressions and from the power of Satan. And the good news or the gospel. Christ saves sinners, those who repent and believe in him. That's good news indeed. Through the history of redemption, we find the word of God commanding, explaining, transforming, admonishing, and even chiding the people of God. And pastors do the same thing. That's what we're called to do. And you see in the book of Acts as well. I tried to highlight that when I went through it. This is what pastors do. It's not always uh, happy sermons. It's not always sad sermons either. It's a mixture of both terms of the law and the gospel. It's a mixture of many other things, of commanding, explaining, transforming, uh, admonishing, exhorting, even chiding the people of God. And such brings reformation, renewal, and revival, as well as discipline, rebuke, and judgment upon the people of God. That's how God designed it. He spoke, right, to Abraham, to Noah, to Moses. Eventually became a written word. Now we have preachers who give you the written word, both approaches, written and oral. God used both to help his church grow in the Old Testament through the prophets, in the New Testament through the apostles, and today through pastors. And not exclusively, but importantly, because it's, it's there. You can't miss it. That's why I highlighted it. It's important. And if it's important, that means we want pastors well-trained, well-educated, and godly as well, who are godly men, spiritual men, who will do the right thing, and brave men like the apostles. Now, we have some particular methods here, I mentioned before. You can exhort, you can instruct. Preaching is usually uh, identified, that word, just pastors preaching today, with exhortation. Stop being so preachy is the negative way of describing that, right? Quit exhorting me or Condemning me is usually what that means, exhorting in a negative sense. Exhortations are positive, right? Keep doing it. Keep following Jesus. Don't give up. Trust in him. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. That's good. That's a time for that. That's exhortation. But there's also instruction. And that's something, of course, I think uh, we in the OPC are especially good at. We do need exhortation, that sermon that you walk away with, the truth in one sentence. A good sermon typically is one big idea. You walk away from the sermon with one big idea. But instruction can give you lots of ideas often. Nehemiah 8.8, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them understand the reading. Catch that? That's not exhortation. That's not, keep following Jesus, resist the devil, stand firm in his grace, right? And having done all but to stand. But this is instruction. It's like school. They read distinctly, read carefully. They gave the sense. They explained it like I did to you. Paul's using hyperbole, right? I'm explaining the sense of 1 Corinthians 1.18. And help them understand the reading. So often pastors do a little bit of both. They have exhortation within the sermon and instruction. Nehemiah is a very good example of instruction. We need lots of instruction, brothers. So much instruction. And exhortation to... Heed instruction, to listen to instruction. 
The church is so ignorant, brothers, so ignorant. I gave you those statistics. I gave them lots over the years. It's the first time I've done it in a while. I want to help them. Don't you want to help them, your brothers and sisters in the Lord? We have so much ignorance. One way you do that is by supporting ministers who will take this seriously, who will instruct, but also exhort and admonish and call people to the Lord, a call of repentance and belief. And who should pastors exhort and who should pastors instruct? Anyone who will listen. (laughs) Unbelievers need the truth and Christians need the truth as well. It's for Christians as well. Don't think preaching is only for everyone else and not not me. You need preaching as well, brothers and sisters. You need preaching as well. For it is the power of God to save. It is the power of God. It is the power to illuminate and open your eyes. And it is the power of God to save. For since in the wisdom of God, the the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached. Now we have the two words together. To save those who believe. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. So yeah, 1 Corinthians one seventeen to 21 is a nice set of verses there highlighting the importance of preaching. Not the ex- exclusion of preaching, that is, only preaching and you guys don't do anything else, right? But it's important. It pleased God to the foolishness, that is, to the world it looks foolish. They laugh at us. What are you doing here on Sunday listening to the pastor preach? Wouldn't you rather read a good book? Watch a fun show? The foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Preach the message of Christ Jesus. To preach repentance. To preach faith. Because it is the power of God to save. And he saves through repentance. He saves through faith. pastor must preach law and gospel, yes. But he must preach, in a related fashion, repentance and faith. Repentance, of course, is in the context of the law. Law says you're a sinner, and repentance is a response to that law preaching, saying, yes, you are right, God, I am a sinner, I need a Savior. And faith, of course, is a response to the good news, the gospel, the message preached. That yes, you are my Lord and Savior, and I want to follow you. I believe that you have lived and died for me, covered my sin. Law and gospel, repentance and faith, they all go together. And that's what pastors must preach. Jesus preached that message. John preached that message. Peter preached that message. Paul preached that message. He exhorted everyone everywhere to repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. But what can you do? You're not a preacher, you say. You're not a pastor. You don't instruct. You don't exhort. Well, as a Christian, you should attend faithful preaching, exhortations, and instruction. In Acts 2.42, we read, And they, all the Christians, all the new converts, continued steadfastly. They persevered in the apostles' teaching or doctrine. And I'm giving you apostolic teaching. That is, teaching that comes from the apostles who came from Christ. And, of course, they continued in fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers all of a piece. Not only attend faithful preaching, attend carefully faithful preaching. Listen, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, preaching to them, you welcomed it not as the word of men, 
oh, he's just a man preaching to me. Well, that's true. But as it is in truth, the word of God, to the extent that that man is preaching the word of God, God will receive it. God will listen. So prepare yourself to hear the preaching of the word. And I've talked about that before, right? Sleep, food, maybe note-taking, something. Everyone's a little different sometimes, although food and sleep are pretty constant amongst people. <laughs> sleep, you need food. I mean, you get distracted. Good environment's nice. We were reading at the Baptist uh, church for that month or so. And my daughter reminded me, you know, it was great. I got to meet with God's people, but it was so hot. I was so tired. I, I felt it, too. I was up there preaching. It was hot up here. So it's good. This is nice. This is great. This is a blessing from God. Do what you can. Of course, if you can't, do what you can and try to stay awake and listen. Because your heart's in it. God knows your heart's in it. Not that you're perfect, brothers. Christ is perfect. And you will not have perfection until heaven. But he takes your intent as the same. Listen, find faithful preaching, support faithful preaching, and close your ears to false preaching or weak preaching or half-hearted preaching. Don't endorse them, don't promote them. I've mentioned this before. I'm more and more convinced of that. You have almost, you have, Christians have social credit. Think about it. We don't think this way. I I think maybe you do, and I'm weird. I I missed it. We have social credit. We had a big thing about, you know, China having social credit, and they actually have it formalized. They have it on their phones and everything else. We have it. It's what you can say and get away with is an example of that. Or who promotes you and passes you around? I only have so much reputation is the word we use, not credit. I'm not going to use my reputation to pass on people who give me half-truths. Charismatics. A guy can say all kinds of good things, but he's a charismatic. Check. X. Not a check. X. I'm not going to pass him on. I don't care how good of things he says. I've got other people who have all these other good things that don't have that major error, and it's a serious error. It's a harmful error to the church. I don't want to pass them on. And so I, I exhort you to use your reputation to pass on good preaching, good instruction, and good teaching. Pray, brothers and sisters, for solid preaching among a mass of people, even Christians, I fear, who want entertainment and have itching ears. Pray for solid preachers in a world that wants pushover pastors. And pray for more spirit-wrought preaching of God's grace and power. Amen. Let us pray. Help us, God, we pray. Not to be discouraged, but to be encouraged that you have blessed us with godly preaching. You have given us as a church and a denomination, as a presbytery, uh, as a, a nation, Lord, and over history, many, many good preachers, men who most people don't know because they're not popular, and we're popular, Lord, because they were faithful to your word. And so, God above, help us, we pray, stand firm upon your word, that it is the power of God unto salvation. Continue to bless us, we pray, with such power on high. In your name alone we pray, amen grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.